everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. What does the last verse of this chapter mean? That some might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will? What does that mean, to be captured by the devil? And I'm going to shoot you guys straight. We get 10 minutes together every day, max, and this is a tough topic to understand. In today's Devo, which you can access at jointhejourney.com, Alicia gives us a more comprehensive overview of the book, or really the chapter. So for our short time together, we're just going to dive in headfirst. Oftentimes, whenever we encounter a verse like 2 Timothy 2.26, where the devil is mentioned, we cock our heads, perk up our ears, and struggle to make sense of it. In 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 24, we read, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And we get to verse 26 and read, Escape from the devil after being captured by him. And we've probably got some questions like, what? People get captured by the devil, come to their senses? Do do they not know they're captured? Can I be captured? What is this? It can be scary and confusing and dark and challenging to understand. But remember, anytime we don't understand a verse or we aren't sure how to interpret or apply it, we want to interpret scripture with scripture. And the first step to a right interpretation is to look at what comes before or after, or both before and after, the verse in question. Because a good Bible study method has three parts—observation, what do I notice? Interpretation, what does this mean? And application, how can I live differently because of what I've read? Well, if we've gone through the steps in verse 26, the last verse of the chapter gives us trouble, we're having trouble interpreting it, we want to jump back up to verse 23 or a few verses prior and go back through the steps again more carefully, starting with observation. So verse 23, Paul writes, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels in the Lord's servant. Okay, let's pause. Observation. Who's being spoken to? Paul says, you know. And when we look at the context of chapter 2 and really the book as a whole, it's clear that these are the instructions Timothy is to entrust or pass on to faithful men. That's a who observation. And this observation is confirmed in verse 24 when we read, And the Lord's servant. So faithful men, servants of the Lord, they know that foolish controversy leads to arguments. And what should this servant be like? They, these faithful men, continuing on, must not, I put a box around not, be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. What about when evil comes? They should be patiently enduring. And then verse 25 finishes that sentence. When evil comes, they should be correcting his opponents or their opponents with gentleness. What should the believer, the faithful men, the Lord's servants be like? Gentle. When should they be gentle? When opponents need correction. And who are a believer's opponents? They're those who disagree with the truth they're proclaiming. And as we keep reading, verse 25 says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. God may perhaps grant them. Who is them, the servant or the opponent? He'd grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Remember, interpret scripture with scripture. 
Verse 23 said the believers should avoid arguments or foolish controversies, and they should speak with gentleness to their opponent, to the person who disagrees with that which is true. It could be false teachers within the church or lost people or both. It's those who oppose the truth. So when we read verses 24 and 25 together, the Lord's servant, the faithful men, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? God may perhaps grant them, the opponents who need to turn from lies, repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they, the person who denies truth, who needs to repent or turn from lies, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, can a believer be captured by the devil? Depends on what you mean by captured. Here, we're talking about someone who has been led away from truth. And anytime we sin, we reject truth. But in this case, it's most likely that these people, the opponents, they're not just rejecting truth in a moment, but they're stirring up trouble through their persistent rejection of truth. And remember, even if you mess up as a believer, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. You're sealed with the Spirit and your eternity is secure. But can we be tempted? Absolutely. I mean, remember, God himself tempts no one. So one commentator says, if men will not be servants of God, they inevitably become the captives of the devil. Man's freedom is his freedom to choose his master. But what about this idea? What about a lost person being captured by the devil? For honest, that seems dark. And it is. And the capture language is likely foreign to most of us. And that's where step two of interpretation comes in. We've looked at the verses that come before and after this one and drawn the conclusion that we're likely talking about lost people being captured by the devil, not believers, though it could be believers who've in a moment rejected truth. But what does it mean to be captured? What is this? Why, why would it likely be lost people? After we observe the text, we move to interpretation. So step one was looking at what comes before or after the verse in question and walking through observation questions again. But step two is asking, what does the rest of the Bible say about this? And in 1 Corinthians 10.20, we read, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. And in 1 Timothy 4, Paul alerted believers that in the latter days, a portion of people will devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Those two verses, they help us conclude that the New Testament suggests false doctrines are, or can be, demonic in origin. Which makes sense, because in John 8, we read that there's no truth in the devil, because John 8, 44, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. So, when we read in 2 Timothy 2 that we want these opponents, these people who may or may not have been lost, but were for sure teaching false things, to be granted by God repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth and to come to their senses, and knowing that the enemy is real and the father of lies creating false doctrines, we can conclude that in simplest terms, the idea here in 2 Timothy is that these people, the opponents in chapter 2, they're entangled in or by the enemy's lies. 1 John 3.8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And in 1 John 3.10, John characterizes people who are not born of God as children of the devil and therefore subject to his influence and desires. That's what Grudem, a theologian, writes. And in my own words, when I read 1 John 3.8-10, 
I'm left to conclude that those who aren't in Christ and are being ruled by the enemy are therefore captured or trapped in sin. The word opponents, it can have a negative connotation that coincides with the word enemy, but lost people aren't our enemies. They're simply in need of the Savior. 1 John 5, 19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and Satan is named the deceiver of the whole world in Revelation chapter 12. And he's the ruler of the world in John 14, the God of the world or the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, and the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience in Ephesians 2. And at the end of the day, I actually don't think what we read in this chapter is anything new. We're just less familiar with the words Paul uses to describe reality. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And if we're not in Christ, Ephesians 2, we're dead in our mistakes and sins. If you're a believer, that's your story. Before Christ, you were dead. Ephesians 2.1, following the course of this world that's ruled by Satan, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, prior to coming to know Christ— We were all trapped or stuck or captured by sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. 2 Timothy 2 is nothing new. The enemy is real. He's a liar. And if you're not in Christ, you're a son or daughter of disobedience, stuck or trapped or captured by sin. And if you're a believer, that was your story. John 6, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws them. So 2 Timothy 2, 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's my story. I once was a slave to my sin, but now, through Christ, I've been set free. And I'm so grateful for all the faithful men and women God used to teach with kindness and speak with gentleness to me such that I came to know and understand and believe the gospel of truth. The fact that we've been saved from our sin, it's significant. And the fact that we've been invited into God's rescue plan for the world is also significant. So how are you doing at living out the Great Commission? Walking in patience? Correcting lies with gentleness? Are you engaging with those who are currently captured by sin and lies? When's the last time you had a meaningful spiritual conversation with a lost person? If you've never had a convo like that, or you're intimidated, or it's been a while, the good news is we don't have to head into battle alone. Talk to your community group or parent, a mentor, a friend. Ask for help. It's normal. You're not alone. And that's why I'm so glad we're on this journey together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.